Lord says, do not mourn for the size that you are. For I have to begin with a mustard seed. That is how I will gain glory. That is how I will purify my bride. So do not mourn. Do not feel loss, but feel victory. For the purging is almost done. This morning, as I was before the Lord, he said something interesting to me that I guess I thought we already had been there, but maybe we hadn't. He was talking about our training, he was talking about warfare. And what he asked me took me back a little bit. It was, are you ready for warfare on multiple fronts? I didn't ask him to explain that, and he didn't explain that. I could tell you how I took it. Because in my thought process, I had a dual thought process. One, I thought, okay, multiple fronts. Well, you know, if we're 40 people or whatever, that could be 40 different ways, right? That's multiple fronts. But I know that's not what it was, because what he has called us to be is unified. He's called us to be one. So what he was talking about is assaults in different sides. If if you... If you understand uh, some of the history of, of wars, World War II, World War I, uh, really any war, you understand that the battle comes from different directions. I'll tell you a good example that he's laying on my heart right now. Has everybody in here seen Braveheart? Yeah. Okay, most people? Okay, I'll explain for those of you who who haven't seen one of the greatest movies in the world. It is an awesome movie. Um, one of the first victories that they had in the, in the movie that, that uh, uh, William, what was his name? William, William, Wallace. William Wallace. One of the, one of the first victories that they had was in the presence of what seemed to be defeat. Right Now, I want to talk to you from the perspective of his opponent, which was Longshanks. Longshanks had the superior army in this case, and they were going up. They didn't even think that they would fight, but they were going up to meet the Scots and assumably barter with them and not go to war. Well, they didn't count on William Wallace being there. And what he told the other leaders of the Scottish army, what he said was, 
look like you're retreating when we go to war. He said, and then he sent this other group around the side to attack them from the flank. And I think of that in terms of what the enemy wants to and will do with us. See, the enemy's not going to give up just because we got to a point where we're unified and we're strong in Christ. If, if that were the case, then we would be purely defensive. And we know we are no longer defensive, we're offensive. So on offense, you have to have strategy in taking down enemy strongholds. The enemy then has a counterattack. He is going to attack in ways, one, from his hopes that you don't expect, but two, in multiple fronts. He may even attack at one point to make you focus on that point, while at the other time, just like, just like William Wallace did, attack from a different angle. So what sat with, sat with me heavy was that he said, are you ready for it? Now my answer was yes. Yes, if he, if he says we're ready for it, we're ready for it. And what he indicated was that that is in the training. I don't know if we're in it right now. I kind of think we probably are. But certainly we will face it. We will face this idea of the enemy coming against us. And there's a reason for that. And we've talked about this before, because we're there. We're there. We are in the forward movement, whether we like it or not. And obviously we like it. Right? This is where we've been wanting to be. This is where we've been asking to be. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I have some ideas, but I'm not going to share them with you. All I can tell you is November 11th seems to be a pretty important day coming up. Can't even tell you why. And perhaps the Lord doesn't want us to know why. But I could tell you that there are a couple of confirmations that have hit. I think I've shared before of a dream that Marty had, and she didn't know what it meant. She just, this dream, she was saying, 44, open the door. And that means nothing to anybody, right? Except that when she reminded me of it, because she had it back in, in uh, March, when she reminded me of it was the very night that Jesus spoke through Anissa and said, open the heavens. Right? So the heavens were opened in the Spirit that night. I don't know if you, if you understood that or got that. What happens in the spirit then also will manifest in, in real life, in, in, in our 3D world, right? I believe 1111 has a significance to that. We've been seeing that number for a few years. Some of us have been seeing it like multiple times a day for a few years. And up until, I want to say maybe six months ago, I started seeing it just about every day in different forms. Also seeing, and the Lord told us to look for the threes, right? Threes are a confirmation. I see 33, I can't even count how many times a day. Anywhere from five to 25 times a day, I'll see 33 or see 333. 
One time I saw three, 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 three. I'm not sure what that meant. <laughs> Maybe God was just tacking on an extra one. I don't know. But we've seen these to become evidence, confirmations, right? That, that's what he's told us. Well, I, I got an interesting text from Bryn this morning about the 11th. And something I wasn't aware of, but let me, let me back up first and explain the 44 open the door. When, when Jesus did that that night, it, it just, I couldn't get it out of my mind that this dream that Marty had had something to do with something. So I'm, I'm trying to manipulate and figure out the 44. 44. What is 44? What, what does 4 mean? What does 44 mean? What is this? Okay, 44. Maybe it was 44 days ago that she had that dream. No, that was back in March. That doesn't work. And so I'm going through all these things, and and Lord told me to look at the calendar. And so I did, and that didn't make sense either. <laughs> then and I'm trying to walk you through a process here. Then he, then he said, no, look at the Jewish calendar. So, oh, yeah, Jewish calendar, because we just started a new year. And so on the Jewish calendar, and I'm adding up, adding up, adding up, and... Oh, wait, no, that doesn't work. Man, it's close, but it doesn't work. It's November 12th, so that doesn't work. Or it was either 12th or 10th. It was one off, I can't remember. I think it was the 12th. And so I thought, oh, yeah, that doesn't work. And the Lord said, don't be so fast. He said, think like a Jew. Of course, my reaction is, but I'm not. <laughs> not a Jew. But then it dawned on me, wait a second, they have 30 days in their calendar. And for October, we have 31. Oh, okay. So let me pull out the Jewish calendar and let me add 44 days. And it came to November 11th. Bingo, thank you, God. That was my confirmation. Was it? Now, I don't know what it means, but it was highlighted. And it's been highlighted for several years. And what Bryn texted me this morning was a was another confirmation of that. She, she just said, she said, you know what? She said, I was just looking at this, and, you know, God just kind of wouldn't leave her alone about it, and I love how God does that. It's like getting our attention through staying on us. She said, she said do you know November 11th is exactly 33 weeks into the year? <laughs> I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. So I don't know what's going to happen November 11th. I don't know if it'll be manifest in the in the spirit or manifest in reality. But November 11th is going to hold some kind of significance. Now, again, I, ha- I have my thoughts on that. I'm not going to share right now. But the point in saying this is we're here. We're here. What we have been training for, what we have been working for, what we have been praying and desiring God to do. We're at the very threshold of that right now. That will manifest. Oh, sorry, Bryn just texted me and said, no, I was incorrect. <laughs> Thank you, Bryn. Hi, Bryn. Bryn's watching us. No, okay, that's what it was. 33 weeks since Marty's dream. Is that? Bryn, just say, is that correct? Yes, okay. She, she just said... Uh, she said 33 weeks exactly since Marty's dream. So, anyways. But the, the point is this. That we're there. And I remember, I remember back during 
Bryn texts me again, yes, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Bryn. I love that. So we're there. We've been, I remember when, when we used to pray during the, during the trainings, just thinking, I mean, three, four, five years ago when it was starting, thinking, yeah, we're right around the corner from it being there and just having this hope and, and this, this uh, I'll say ignorant faith that, oh, yeah, it's just right around the corner. But it's kind of like the Word of God, how, how the Word of God has an understanding of it when you begin to read it, but when you begin to peel back layers and you begin to, to engage the very thing that, that God wants, wants you to engage in by saying, Lord, give me wisdom, send your Holy Spirit, speak through your words, speak through your, your, your Bible, show me, Lord, peel back the things which I don't understand. And then all of a sudden we, we come to understand things differently than what we did before because we're given more information. We're given a bedrock of understanding of things that we went through that we couldn't have known before. And that's where we're at now after five years of training, after five years of gifts opening, after five years of confirmations, after five years of being united together, fighting the very things that we fight together, but unifying through it. So we can see things in Scripture. We, I, I remember it was maybe a year or so into this process when God first showed me Revelation 3.9. And, and this remnant that he is putting together. By the way, some of the remnants going to surprise you guys. We had dinner with our neighbors last night who are, who are uh, lifelong Catholic. You know, and I don't know a lot about the Catholic faith, except, you know, I, I know a lot of them, or at least the ones I had met before, didn't believe in accepting Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior. They, they believed more in a works-type salvation. Wow, that is not the case with our neighbors who grew up Catholic, who are Catholic, who see the problems in the Catholic Church and we're talking with them last night, and, and the very verbiage that they use, some of the words are the exact same. They, they start talking about how, how the Lord is, well, they, they, say, they call him the Father, right? How the Father is telling them about this remnant. And, of course, we look at, we just smile at each other. The remnant, yeah, you know, the same Father is telling us the same thing. It's this remnant that is not about a specific religion, but it's a specific heart posture. It is a child of God who has a heart posture that I want what you want and nothing else. Now, I'm not saying there aren't differences of doctrine. Perhaps there are, and perhaps those will all be worked out in time. What I'm telling you is the remnant is going to surprise you. But it's real. And it's out there. And from an outside source, we have confirmation that they have been told the same thing, that this remnant is going to be brought together. But even in the war, there's training. 
as he will train us to take on multiple fronts. He will. But the word that he gave me this morning, or this, this thought process he gave me this morning was, and I didn't do a slide on it because I, I just got it, but it's how we look in, you know, through our eyes, how we look through our lives. We, our eyes will look through lenses, right? We'll look through a lens and it will give us a particular look of what we see around us. Some of us have, have glasses with, with bifocals, right, with two lenses so we could see the world in two different ways. Well, what he has spoken to me this morning is about those two ways. But it's not something you want bifocals for. Because, see, one of the ways is not right. And one is right. There is a way of seeing the world how he wants you to see it. It's in purity of relationship with him. It is in a not only a sold-out heart, but a heart that is pure before him. There is another lens that brings confusion to that first lens. And that is when we allow the human elements of our feelings to get involved. The human element of how someone else may feel. How somebody else may react. The very mercy that grows in us over the truth of what God wants. We've seen many times this is a dangerous lens. And I'm not saying not to have mercy. I'm saying that it cannot replace what God is trying to say. And those two lenses really are perspectives. And they're perspectives of a reaction. A reaction to things that happen in our lives. When, when something happens in our life, we can react out of emotion to that moment, or we can react out of, God, what do you intend here? What do you want here? See, I'm telling you, if you're on the battlefield, you better be careful of the emotion. I'm not saying emotion's bad. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying be careful that it doesn't decide something for you. Because emotion is based in us. Now, I'm not talking about feeling the heart of God, because we are to feel the heart of God. We're to have a burden for those who don't know him. You know, the, the father's heart breaks for those who don't know his son. We're to have a heart that breaks for those people. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when it affects us personally. When something comes against us personally, what lens are we going to use to see the reality of that? I want you to turn. He's given me a number of scriptures, and we'll, we'll see what he has us go through. But uh, I, I want to I turn first to Revelation chapter 2. And we're just going to read a, a couple of verses here because... I think this has been the downfall of the church. This is a picture of the bride as we know the bride right now. And, and, and I want to say our 
process of thinking of what this is, is is probably a little myopic when it comes to the reality of what it is. But let's start in uh, in verse 19 of chapter 2. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and your latter works exceed your first. In other words, I know what you have done, and you have increased in what you've done. Right? He said your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, your patience for, for moving forward, and it's increased over time. He's talking to this church. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants. Now I'm not going to go on from there because I don't want you to think that all she does is drives the church in a sexual direction. That's part of what she does. But understand the Jezebel spirit is a spirit that takes you away from God. Right? There are many emotions that drive this Jezebel spirit. But all I wanted to point out here was the fact that this church that had these good works and that they increased. It wasn't like they just had them at the beginning and then lost them. They had them and they increased in these works. In this faith, in this, in this patient endurance, in this love, in this service, they increase, and yet, he said, but I have this one thing against you. He said, you have tolerated this Jezebel spirit that has turned my church away from intimacy with me. Because, see, the intimacy became with someone else. And we know the, we know the story of Jezebel and Ahab. Right? We know, we know the story of, of what happened there. But what I'm learning is that this spirit is one of the strongest spirits, certainly, that comes against the church. Why? Because it's the most sneaky. It's the most camouflaged. Why? Because it hides an emotion. That's its cloak. It hides an emotion. If you look at Jezebel's life, her, her life was filled with reactionary emotion. Ahab was, was distraught and and. And she's like, why are you distraught? Well, I, I really wanted this piece of land and I can't get it. Her reaction was emotional. Well, no problem. You're the king. You can get what you want. I'll take care of it. And she did. She took care of it. She got him that piece of land. The same with her emotional reaction to what Elijah did. Right? And, and I'll tell you what, don't discount the power of this spirit because Elijah was not afraid of 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah was not afraid of Ahab. Elijah was not afraid of the other priests of the Asherah. 
Elijah was not afraid of the people of Israel. And yet, after all he did, all he went through, and God miraculously worked, he was afraid of one thing. He was afraid of Jezebel. Now, I really don't think that he was afraid of Jezebel. I think he was afraid of the spirit that was behind Jezebel. And we don't have the answer as to why. We kind of talked about that last week. You know, that was certainly Elijah's downfall in his ministry, if, if, if you could say that, even though I don't believe his ministry is, is done, thank God. But that was certainly a defeat for him, where he ran from her, and the result of that was he was replaced. So he wasn't afraid of this, you know, I would imagine, petite woman, right? He was afraid of the spirit behind her because she was powerful. And that's what has a grip on the church today. And when I say the church, I mean the bride. I mean all of those who have accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts. You go into any church and you will find this spirit there in one way or another. And it breaks my heart to think that the bride right now is the church of Thyatira. That you have done all these good things. You have, you have given things over to the Lord. You have moved forward, but yet you have tolerated this spirit of Jezebel. Now I'm going to share with you how I used to think until just this past probably two weeks. I used to think that there wasn't a whole lot that I could do about it, or that we could do about it. I mean, if we, because there have been a couple times now, we have, we have had this spirit pushed out of ignition, pushed out of the church, right? And it just keeps coming back. And, and so I used to think that perhaps that is an ongoing fight. You know, perhaps there is no end to that war because Jezebel is allowed to be there I don't know to fine tune us <laughs> to, to, to keep us sharp in noticing but I don't believe that's the case anymore I do believe and it's so wild that I think it was the last song we sang were the very words that the Lord had spoken to me before that I will bring the heads of your enemies on a platter. What is the greatest enemy of the church? It was named right here. This spirit. This spirit of Jezebel. I do believe that this spirit, we will have the head of this spirit handed to us on a platter. I don't know when. I don't know when that happens. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how it manifests. But I believe it. I also believe that in order for a bride to be a ready bride, it cannot be the church of Thyatira. And if, if Ignition 633, which was named by God, which was built by God, which was done by God, is the tip of the spear in this ready bride then it has to come with that purification 
with us as well. Because we can't be the church of Thyatira. We can't. Because he won't tolerate it, right? I want to go down to verse 26. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. You know, which is getting rid. You know what? Let's go back. Let's go back. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. That is the church's state right now. And I will strike her children dead, and the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you who in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. And verse 26 is what I wanted to get to. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. What he showed me this morning is this is the very readying of the bride. As this spirit is purged out of the bride, so will come the authority that brings about Revelation 3 verse 9. Where favor is shown on the bride and the world will see it. The world will literally honor it because of the favor that they see. That is what will make, as, as Shannon prayed earlier, that's what will make Israel jealous. I think verse 26 has to do certainly with the thousand year reign of Christ, but I think it has to do with even today. That as this spirit is purged from the churches, you will see the churches gain authority. They have lost authority. Why? Because they have given place to this spirit. I want you to turn to James chapter 4. I talked about two lenses and that we look through life in one lens or the other. And, and I want to share with you just briefly what it means to be in each of those lenses. Verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet it and can, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I just want to keep reading down through verse 8. 
Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We talk about that a lot. That's relationship. See, relationship is up to us to begin. We draw near to him, then he draws near to us. Cleanse your hands, you you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. Let's go back to James chapter 1. And I know we're going a few places this morning. Verse 5. And I I wanted to go there because of this idea of of being double-minded. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So again, go back to chapter 4, and I want to remind you what this lens means. This, this lens is because he says in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Verse 1 says that your passions are at war within you. What does that mean? It means your emotions. It means the emotional makeup of who you are. You're at war with that within yourself. If you are seeking the Lord's will, if you are seeking His plan, that's one of the lenses that we can look through. Our own emotion, our own feelings. That's a dangerous place to be. Now, I want you to turn... To John chapter 15. John chapter 15 talks about a different lens. John chapter 15, and we won't go through the whole thing, but it, it talks about a lens of friendship, a lens of relationship. A lens of how we're supposed to see Jesus how we're supposed to react to things that happen to us through this lens. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that he will bear more fruit. I want to stop there for a second because one of the things that I think the church misses is the fact that that God would get rid of something that does not bear fruit. This is not talking about salvation, guys. This is not talking about your ticket to heaven or hell. 
This is talking about your productiveness in relationship with the Father. The production of your life, of His will being done in your life. You know, those things that the church of Thyatira were, were God thanked them for. For their love, their service, their patient endurance. Right? These are the things that, that when are in our lives, the God, that God then sees the fruit and He starts to prune those that He sees fruit from. Those where he does not see the fruit or the fruit is of a different spirit, he will take away and he will cast away. That's not salvation. That is relationship. That is usefulness. Verse 3. Already you are clean, and that's what he means there. Already you're saved. Already you're justified of sin because of the word that I have spoken to you. And you believed it. Each one of you that have accepted him into your heart as Savior. You have believed who Jesus Christ is. You believe that he came as a man to this earth and what he did on the cross in giving his life for yours. You believe that. You believe that death could not hold him. But he rose from the grave and he sits at the right hand of the Father. You believe that by the word that was already implanted in you. So already you are clean. You are given this clean bill of health. But as you then go to build relationship, relationship is not an automatic thing. We've talked about this many times. It's not even automatic to the person who seeks it. How many times can you seek a relationship with somebody and it gets messed up because of the lens that you're seeking it through? You ever try and build a relationship with somebody and you're building it in a way that wraps around your own emotion, wraps around the way you see something happening in that relationship and it gets destroyed because of it. All the time. A lot. Just because relationship is offered to you doesn't mean it comes at whatever cost. You want to pay. See, relationship is the cost of everything. Because justification costs him everything. The ready bride comes at a cost of everything that you have. Everything that you are. And it's not about losing yourself in the midst. It's about finding the truth of who you are. In Christ. The best of who you are is in Christ. The enemy who would want us to look through that other lens would try to keep us in a place where we can't see the true relationship with God. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And I'm just going to keep reading because literally he explains himself throughout this, this entire beginning of the chapter. 
think verse 6, is that where I am? If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. So that's where we get messed up. See, we think that we're abiding in him because we're doing things that on the outside look like we're doing what's right. Well, I go to church every Sunday, every Tuesday. I, I do this, I do that. I've got my checklist of things that I do. Of course I have relationship with him. Because I do these things. But what he's saying here is, if you abide in me, if you give me everything of who you are, if you look through the lens in your life that you're supposed to look through, and give me everything, then whatever you ask, whatever you wish, it will be done. Why? Because literally our minds are supposed to become like the mind of Christ. Paul said it. Paul said it, that that that, that is what he strives for. That's what we strive for, for our mind literally to be taken over by the mind of Christ, to become the mind of Christ. So the very words that will come out of your mouth are not your own words. But they're the words of Christ. And when they are his words, he said, whatever you ask, it will be done. That's a level of trust that then the father has with you. Why? Because you are consumed with his son. By this, my father is glorified, verse 8, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, it has everything to do with Jesus. That's why we're to have the mind of Christ. Because it brings glory to the Father. Why? Because the Father's the one who sent Him in the first place. It was the Father's will that, it, that His only Son, who, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made Himself a man. Lowered Himself. And became a man. And live that perfect life. See, the Father, it was His will that that be done. So He could have relationship with you and I. So when we build relationship through Jesus Christ, and we let His mind become our, our mind become His mind. His mind just infiltrates everything that we do. It brings glory to the Father. Why? Because the Father's will was that He sent Him for this very purpose. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. See, he made it simple. He said, you want to... Abide in me. You have to fulfill my commandments. And then he laid out what that was. Right? Let's read it. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. What does loving one another mean? Jeff, if I were to say I love you, does that mean that I just support whatever you want to do? No. No, it means that iron sharpens iron. And if I have a lens of real love for you, that means that I look at you and I look at your relationship. And if anything is laid on my heart in regards to that from the Father, that I I come to you with it, right? That's how he has prompted us to be. So that's where loving each other has to be through a lens of selflessness. Of thinking of the other person. Not thinking where we're at. Not thinking what we need. Not thinking what we want. Or how it might affect us. But thinking of that other person. And all I can tell you is that is the very thing that this Jezebel spirit wants to come against. It's that fabric of love. Look at the evidence in the world. If you go to the world and you ask them what love is, you're not going to get the answers that the Father would give you, right? But yet, you're going to get some answers that, well, you know, that makes sense. You know, I, I, I see that there is a love there of sacrifice, but peel back the layers, and it is still a selfish love. That's not what he wants for us. It's not what he wants for the bride, that gives place to the Jezebel spirit. And, and, and I, know, I know that everybody kind of uses that term. I, I don't know that I fully like that term, but because I think this, this spirit has encompassed a lot more than what we see in the life of Jezebel. Because, see, when Jezebel was around, the church was not. I think she was poised and ready for the church to be birthed. And you saw her strike immediately. You saw her strike and bring division even between the apostles. Paul had to call it out with Peter and with John. It's affected the church from the very beginning. It's affected the church in levels that have permeated literally every church. That can be kind of ominous when you think about it. 
except for the fact that God said, I will give you her head on a platter. So he's going to do it. He's going to do it. But we better have the lens for it. We better have the lens for each other in seeking the source of what truth is. Outside of feelings, outside of what we think in the human realm, and go solely to the Word of God. Solely to the Word of God. Alexis, come on up. If there's one thing that I've noticed in the condition of the bride today, it is a lack of repentance. So much so that it has affected this nation, and we know the charge is if my people, the people of God, will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith, turning from their wicked ways. Um, I find it interesting, I don't know why the Lord's highlighted this idea of the definition of repentance, and and I just want to, there's actually a lot of them, but I want to give you a a quick one that, that he was showing me recently here. First of all, the basic definition of repentance is that it is a change that takes place in one's life as a result of the Holy Spirit's work to illuminate one's consciousness. And this is the biblical definition. To illuminate one's consciousness to the state of sin in the presence of a holy God. But in the Greek... It literally, the word means change of mind. It's a changing of mind. And it's interesting because in the New Testament, the word metonia is translated as repentance. But this kind of repentance is not about regret, guilt, or shame. It implies making a decision and having a complete turnaround. Why do I say that? I was just thinking about what what Greg was saying in the message. Do you know that at the beginning, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, why Jesus came? He came to draw attention to something very important. Having this mind of Christ. You cannot have the mind of Christ without repentance. The first words Jesus said in his public ministry in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Matthew 6.33, we know that's the mantra of ignition. Repent is a changing of the mind in seeking him. And we know that we are to seek him first, his righteousness, his kingdom, kingdom. And so it's, it's really all connected that You can't just be a Christian in theory and in practice and in principle. The way that 
Jesus designed the church to be in choosing the 12 disciples, in, in telling Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. All of that foundation that he laid upon which the church was built was a complete repentant heart to have the mind, ways, and total transformative um, power of God flowing through us so that it's all of him and none of us. And yet look at what church has become. If there was more true, true repentance, well, you can't possibly tolerate a spirit like this when you think and respond and every single day seek God and his ways and his mindset. You really, this whole idea of being renewed and transformed in the spirit of your mind that Ephesians 4 talks about, Romans talks about, it's like, it is just no joke to be sold out for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the ready bride is not just about getting a little more on fire. It's about literally letting the original call to transformation take place in your life. And um, that's really sobering to me because I, I'm, it's like more and more it's, it's unlocking to me what being a believer is all about. We talked about in the ladies' class, as I have before, but the Lord reminded me this week, this idea of functioning as a practical atheist, which is that we respond to life circumstances and problems and reason through our own intellect and our own understanding, not through the lens and mindset of God. Well, when you don't include God in everything that you do, and you're not, when you're not listening to that constant voice of the Holy Spirit that, that speaks to us in all these different ways, you do function as an unbeliever. Because functioning as a believer means that he permeates everything that you do. And you hear his voice in everything. He's constantly communicating. And to function as an unbeliever is to function as an atheist in practical matters of our lives and um i just uh the invitation to intimacy with god and the um promise of the awesome protection and um benefits and blessings then that psalm 91 offers the fruit of the spirit that comes from just walking with him the, the fellowship and friendship that he mentioned in John 15 from abiding in the vine and, and being invited into that kind of relationship. It is so amazing, but it definitely requires an, an absolute single eye. It, it, it requires an absolute dying to everything that, was, that is of fallen man. And um, I just know that the mercy and the love of God is... You know, even in my own life, as God has revealed in my own life what needs to be purged, it's because he loves me. The things he wants me to further die to of myself is because he loves me. And so in dealing with any infiltration of any kind of, of, of spirit or strategy, it is God is good and does only good. And so when he wants to get rid of something, it is for the good of his bride. It's a good thing. You know, as parents, I think often how easy it is to be even the most human, seemingly human, um, selfless parent. There can be a lot of selfishness when you don't understand the, the mindset and the lens of love. Because every time you enable or you give in to your child, you are thinking about yourself. And how it makes you feel to, in that moment, give in, then you are thinking about the good of that child and what they really need. And they will, and 
just like all of us, kids have to go through hard lessons and hard times. And if you're really thinking about what's the best for them to grow and develop, then you will find you won't enable and you'll stand firm and see things through. And it's just like the Lord. You know, he doesn't, um, he's not interested in making our circumstances comfortable. He's interested in making us all that we need to be. If there was no such thing as fallen flesh, then everything would be comfortable, you know, because we would all be with him. But the fact that, um, that there is a fallen world, the fact that we groan within ourselves to be just free of this fallen realm um, is, is why, of course, there's, you know, the idea of the faith and, and, and trusting him. But we, we desire to be free. And because of that battle, there are tough things. That's why we, in sharing in his sufferings um, and in the, felt, you know, the fellowship of his sufferings, we, we know that that's part of, of what this life and this short, short time is in our um, in our walk with him, but he rewards our faith. And, um, but don't forget about repentance. I think that's just really the only comment I wanted to make on this is when repentance is a, is a lost, um, reality in the bride, all else will be able to infiltrate because without repentance is without having the mind of Christ. You cannot possibly have that turnabout and that transformation of your mind without true repentance. And that is a word that's become a controversial um, kind of silenced word in pulpits today because um, Satan has twisted it to mean something that it doesn't mean. But repentance is the most beautiful thing ever. Like, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't want to think anything like myself. I am a mess. I want to have a complete turnabout to everything that is of God. I want to have a complete open openness to his voice and his voice alone. And that comes through repentance. And so, um, so I, I hope you'll heed this word today. Um, when the Lord gives a word and gives a message, and it's truly from the Holy Spirit of God, it is for a purpose. It is, it is for it is for our good. It is for our moving forward. Nobody wants delay. Nobody wants barriers. Nobody wants impediments in their growth personally and corporately. And so God has purpose in why this message um, was given today. And, and he will reveal. So ponder this. Don't, don't take any of these messages as, oh, okay, that was really good and check and that's great. Always ask the Lord. Say, God, if I believe that you filled our pastor with your spirit to deliver a word, then let it penetrate deep into the soil of my heart. If there's any part of me that is not allowing that seed to take deep root, to produce in it what you want, then, then help me to can, can cultivate my soil again so that the seed can go down and listen to the message again. Because um, God wants to do something significant through this word this morning. And, um, and he, as he always does. Because there is, I think you guys just sang a worship song. Um, somebody sang it recently. Or maybe it was the one I was listening to when I worshiping, was worshiping this morning. But no syllable, no word, or, or no part of any word is, is, is void. Uh, uh, that's, that's the word of God. It's, it goes, it's like a, a deeper expression of the fact that his word never returns void. Because it's, it's a living, breathing part of God that is constantly planting seeds within the soil of our heart mm -hmm. to, to transform us and to change us. 
And so that's why, as Shannon prayed so beautifully uh, before and after the song, uh, I Surrender, that I surrender is living in a state of repentance, living in a state of, of every day. I mean, that is what giving God our yes is. It's like, yes, I'm going to say yes to you, God. No to me. I want to have, a, I want to have the turnaround stay focused on you, that I never turn back, that I, that I don't look to my right or to my left, but that I just stay uh, set on you. So praise God for that. That is so good. Thank you so much for that. I hope you're listening because we have some announcements.